We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Performance and results at Norwich, despite new manager, has players wondering, are we the baddies? This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. Freddie in, Emery out, and maybe players out? To be determined. Uh, Ryan Hun from the fabulous Stadio Podcast will be on down the line with an interview uh, discussing, first of all, his interview with Ian Wright. Uh, which I'm not remotely jealous of, and then also discussing the managerial search and, and Freddie's potential tenure and, and who could be the next guy, and Ryan is going to give us a definitive statement about who the next manager is. So that's all down the line. Prior to that, Tim and Clive are here. We are going to talk about the Norwich game, break it down like it's new thing, because there's new things to say, which is kind of exciting, and maybe some old things to say as well. As a reminder, if you want to hear somebody, <coughs> Clive, Clive, sing a Christmas song. All you have to do to get somebody, Clive, Clive, to sing a Christmas song is sign up for The Athletic. It's wonderful. Like the, the reporting from the athletic has been, let's let's just say it, it's been on point. They've been good. Like I know if you're not your thing, cool, but they've been on point the last couple of weeks. And uh, you can sign up at theathletic.com forward slash Clive P A F C. <clears throat> theathletic.com forward slash Stoberto. Theathletic.com forward slash Yankee Gunner. Mm-mm. And theathletic.com Paul AFC because they wouldn't do Posin in My Pants. Whichever one has the most signups, we'll get to sing that song. We'll put it out around Christmas time. Uh, coming within hours now, we will be launching our competition to win an Arsenal shirt, a year of Patreon, and a year of The Athletic. 
all those will be up for grabs and we'll actually have an extra round of entries for patrons as well so if you want to enter twice sign up for our patreon look we do our best to put out a lot of content over there i know um we we ask you to do it a lot but the one thing we try to do in response to that is really load you up with awesome extra episodes and rewatches and videos and and writing and as much as we can do scott simulations the the data review so there's a lot there and uh now that there's a lot of new stuff to talk about hopefully you'll be joining us might get a little light around christmas just because we got so many of these podcasts to do because we're never going to shortchange it here either uh so enough of that go sign up for the athletic and patreon that's uh that's for your holiday cheer we'll do some charity stuff later this month too we'll talk about that anyway um tim is here you can find him on twitter at stoberto hello tim hello there Clive is on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Okay. So, Tim, can I ask you a question? Sure. Am I a miserable cunt? Yeah. Okay. I'm just double-checking because, I mean, <laughs> apparently, I'm just a super miserable cunt. Look, I am thrilled that Emery is gone, and I am I am really excited for Freddie to, si- to, to, to be the man for now. I don't think there should be any expectation that Freddie can get his hands around this in one day. If we're going to discuss this, we got to analyze the decisions he makes. It is totally mm. pointless for me to have a microphone plugged in and turned on. M- most would argue, full stop, you're correct. It is pointless <laughs> for you to have a microphone plugged in and turned on. But it's po- pointless if we're not going to discuss stuff. So let's discuss stuff. Tim, mm. We, you said, I'm going to blame you. You're the miserable cunt. You said there's some easy wins for Freddie, and we identified them. Start Pepe yeah, on yeah. the wing, get Oba in the box, put Terrera at DM. Just do common sense shit. And his sort of new guy capital, all this wonderful goodwill and political capital he has, he used up on reintroducing Shaka and Mustafi, totally freezing out Pepe and not starting Torreira. I'm not saying those things are wrong, by the way, but I just want to get your take mm. on those decisions and you know why you think you might have taken them and, and whether you maybe have some issues with it. Yeah, I, I was surprised, but then I, I thought to myself, well, why am I surprised? I don't know anything about Freddie Lundberg. Um, like the last thing I knew about Freddie Lundberg, you know, he was on our right wing and that was like 15 years ago. So um, I guess I was kind of projecting what I thought he should do um, or what I think I might have done onto him, um, which, you know, which was probably a slightly foolish thing to do. So I I think I'm, <clears throat> I, so I was surprised unpleasantly by some of the, uh, by some of the selections, the Mustafi thing, I was I wasn't so like on current form. You have to say Mustafi in for Socrates is not an unfair call, um, and yeah, and to be honest, he doesn't have an awful lot to choose from in that defence. I mean, you know, I always say about flip the question. I mean, if Mustafi is the answer, what's the question? <laughs> the question is, have you got any good defenders? And the answer is no basically so that's another like little bit of rearranging the deck chairs but i i'm kind of prepared to take a bit of a long view on it like i i completely admit had emery put that starting lineup out i would have had quite a lot of issues with it and and i think i kind of did but at the same time we have got like another game on thursday night another game on the monday after i am prepared to take like a slightly longer view and see how his selections pan out in that in that kind of length of time particularly because emery was trying to save his job and played pretty much his strongest team um against frankfurt in the europa league on thursday night um and you know freddie only had like one training session with them so it could be that they had something in mind already and and he was just minded not to rock the boat really 
Um, but yeah, I, I had some issues with this with the with the starting lineup. I don't know if it's just because I was slightly taken by surprise. Um, but I mean, and I mean, maybe this is a nice segue, and we'll get into this. But I, w- I was pleasantly surprised, at least, by how we started the game. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And we are going to get into that. And I think, look, I get a lot of responses on Twitter about like, you know, he's had one day with the team. What do you expect? I don't expect anything. I didn't expect him to play totally differently. I didn't expect him to fix anything. I had no expectation. The only thing I sort of expected was that he would make lineup choices that sort of take a common sense approach to what seems to be or or what seemed to have been wrong under Emery. Now, look, just because I think it's common sense doesn't mean it's right. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying what I view. And and you're saying what you go ahead. And, and yeah, he, I mean, Freddie said both in the build up to this game and after this game, he's, he's talked about keeping it simple, hasn't he? Yeah. They've, they've talked about a couple of things. They've talked about the players enjoying it again. And he's just said, look, I need to simplify things, which maybe you could read between the lines there and say that thing. Well, I, I don't even think you're reading between the lines. He's saying that it became too complicated for them. Um, and I think he knows. And I think wisely he's thinking, Let's just, as a first step, I don't know how long I've got this job. I might only have it for three games, five games, whatever. First step, let's just let's just like hit pause, simplify a little bit. And I think that's a sensible approach. But the, the thing is, I'm not sure with the lineup that that's really what happened. I suppose that's my my slight kind of issue with the uh, with the starting lineup he selected. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I, I think um, sometimes we run the risk when we are involved in something of being too close to it. And when you're too close to it, you see all these angles and, and arguments. And, re, you know, like you could be the Barcelona coach and, you know, Messi had a Coke at training and he was looking grumpy. So, you know what? He, he can't play. I got to leave him on the bench. And, like, sometimes common sense is about just taking a perspective and being like, these are the good players at the good positions and I'm going to play them there. I could be wrong about that. It's just my take. Clive, the reality is, whatever you think of the lineup, and, and I think, you know, we'll, we'll probably be asking questions about the Chambers decision. I like the way we started. And at least it felt like we got our arsenal back uh, with tongue very firmly in cheek in the sense that we attacked well, progressed the ball into the final third well, created danger well, and got hit on one counterattack and conceded. Um, I don't have a problem with us being vulnerable to counterattacks if we put that kind of pressure on the opposition. I have a much bigger problem with the second half where we struggled to really control the game than the first half where we controlled it, but when we lost it, we struggled. That's a step in the right direction, actually, as far as I'm concerned. So for you, what were some of the things about our early play in the first half, and Lacazette arguably should have had a goal very early on, what were some of the things about the early play that were an improvement? So I liked where we were playing. I thought our average position looked really good and much more aggressive. And when I say aggressive, I mean we moved the ball quicker. We moved quicker. The players moved quicker. One, two touches. Interesting. Of course, you're putting pressure, a little bit more pressure on people. I thought the Willett selection was was quite interesting because I think we are we lack legs in the middle. I thought he ran himself around really quite well. Um, he's his technical security is 50-50, but his movement was, was just what we needed. And I think people started to move off of his movement. So I, I thought that was an interesting selection. But I just I just like the fact that we seem to have our chests out. So for me, Freddie just sort of said, right, come on, guys. Let's go 4-3-3, three, three, really. We have sort of two stay in centre mid, but one go in Willock. Let's have lefty and righty on the, on the flanks. I bad me on your right foot, Erz on his left foot, and have Lacazette who dropped off the line, the, you know, the back line really well early on. 
I could see some movements and switching the play between Lacazette and Willock. And, and of course, once you're putting a bit more energy around, what you find is that the other team give you the ball again. So you get waves of attack. But this is why I thought, you know, we need that Lacazette goal. And by the way, he needs to explain himself why he's missing that, because that's rubbish. He scores out at home, we all know it, right? So, um, but away from home, his backside falls out, his legs crumble, and he, he manages to top the ball. So that's not good enough. We need that from our 180,000 pound a week striker. We need that to hit the laces and go in. Then we develop from there. But what we then do is we come overexcited. So on the right-hand quadrant of the team, we have Callum Chambers. Am I allowed to go there, Elliot? I mean, I'm, yeah, just just fire, fire away, absolutely. I mean, I, I gotta go there because I thought you played very immaturely. You just have to feel the game, right? So, fullbacks. I I often feel with Callum Chambers, what he does is is that he knows he's not great on one on one defending. He's scarred by one on one defending, but what he is quite good at is being quite aggressive with his starting position. But you have to feel the game. You have to know when to go. Only go when you got secure possession. And what he was doing was buzzing the ball into Joe Willock and just disappearing on him. Just going, boom, overcommit, on a run, I'm gone. I might get a third man run, but I don't care, I'm gone. But what that means is you're now affecting Shaka, Mustafi, you're asking Willock to charge back, you're asking Aubameyang to charge back. Everyone's affected by your, by your exuberance. I thought that was rubbish. I thought I could see it coming, and I called it, and I and then he did it again on the second goal. It's like, just feel the game. Just know where to see in your hole. If I'm watching a game of football and, and Collo's looking a better fullback, that means we got a problem, haven't we? Because he was far more selective, far more disciplined, knew when to go, knew when to join in, knew when to invert, knew when to go outside. Callum just kept going, he just kept going and kept going. And I think without that, I don't think Norwich had anything. They just dived into the hole that he left. And so what I found was a team that was starting to find confidence, got over-exuberant. Well, one particular player got over-exuberant. And what that did is it just fractured our confidence again. And it just made us get back onto our heels and affected our control and I, I was disappointed by that. I just wanted a little bit of composure and maturity at key points in the game to make other teams work harder against us because there was some nice energy and positive signs about where we were playing. We were a bit more direct at times, but we were forcing people to defend and, and the movement looked much more like an Arsenal the, team. The one-touch passing half. was really encouraging. <clears throat> I have to Absolutely. say, like... The ball was was pinging around, and I know people are starting to have their their players that they're they're digging out now, and and that's always going to happen when the form gets this bad. And Ganduzi is starting to come in for some criticism, and I, I'm not saying it's not all deserved. I think positioning wise, some of it's deserved. I still think the way he's using the ball is pretty good. I I, I do think the the Callum Chambers criticism is is warranted, but that you know I'm not usually one to defend a player this way, but I'm going to. I just think this is a case of a guy who shouldn't be playing fullback. And I don't know why we're doing it. Maybe because Maitland Niles just finally just begged off playing fullback and didn't want to do it, and Bellerin's injured. I don't know, you know, what the situation is there, but he he should not be playing fullback. Um, you know, at the same time, like, look, Tim, there were a lot of situations where they were able to win the ball back, progress it up in our half and counterattack, and, and they were running at our defenders. And there are a lot of people mm. saying it's not the defenders' fault because 
you know, you shouldn't be that exposed and they shouldn't have to do that. Okay, there might have been one or two times where they were overrun. But I can news for you. Watch Liverpool. Watch City. There are moments in those games where their defenders are isolated against counterattacking forwards and they have to do the job because those teams push a lot of men up into their half. Watch what Adama Traore did to City. Look at what Pepe did to, to Liverpool and, and Aubameyang. But they handled the situations. At the end of the day, at a big club, you're going to find yourself isolated sometimes with counterattacks coming at you. And and I think yep. the defenders have to handle it. I'm sorry. What Luis yeah. and Mustafi do with this dropping off and dropping off and dropping off and dropping off is no good. And I'm curious, are you sympathetic to, to how exposed they were? Or do you take my perspective that... If the style is to push up and be more attacking, and you know you're occasionally going to yield those counters, the defenders have to be a lot stronger in their challenges. So I, I, I kind of go on both, but I probably go more on your side of it. So I do th- like I do think we have an issue in that it's so so easy to pass through the middle of the pitch and um from where i sit at the emirates like quite a lot of times this season where i sit you know just above like the center circle in the upper tier sometimes just during the game i'd 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 just kind of jab my mates and just say look at the center of the pitch like literally look at the center circle because there'll be nobody in it and whether we've got the ball, like quite often when we're building play, I'll be like, look, like nobody is. There's just like a massive smoking crater in the part of the pitch where usually teams have like the most amount of players. And it's, it's weird. Like we just have so many I don't know if it's instruction or just the type of players we have, but we really seem to avoid the middle of the pitch. And can it's can just I say so something easy. about that? Just You know what yeah, it reminds sure. me of? It's like when you see someone who's good at something doing something and you try to imitate it, but you're not as good at it. And what I mean is like, oh, Liverpool and City overload wide spaces and create build-up. There. They yeah, do, yeah, yeah. but they stretch across the pitch much more evenly yeah. spaced in the midfield. And we overload those wide spaces, but... Every fucking buddy gets sucked over there. It's just, it's like a, a poor man's version of what they do and it's not working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big time, big time. But yes, I do also agree with you as well in that when you're a defender, sometimes you have to defend. And yes, you know, you, that that's made harder when you're not, um, when you're not adequately protected and when there's big smoking smoking craters in the middle of the pitch i i think like the biggest issue really is it's not even just necessarily the quality of the defenders per se it's the profile um you know and i think part of the reason freddie put mustafi in was not just because you know he's a little bit better on the ball i think it's just maybe because he's seen as a little bit more athletic um, and he can get about a bit more, and he can. It's just he uses that athleticism to run backwards. And uh, I just think uh, it's a big problem for us, this kind of... we Basically, with the defence we've got, really we should be playing a deep block because none of them have got any legs on them, and none of them can recover into space. You put Xhaka in front of them, that's not solving that problem. Um, you know, even Torreira, Torreira is really, really good in short spaces. He's the kind of guy, you know, he's a guy like running into a burning building and dragging your cat out. He's, he's not a sprinter. He's not, he's not going to cover 40, 50 yards and go Mm. and get someone, but give him 10, 15. Yes, he will. And, and that's just totally at odds with what we have everywhere else on the pitch. You know, we've, with the attack we've got, we should be kind of nice and high up, nice and aggressive, dominating. But the defenders we have just can't play that game because they, they just can't recover. And, um, I'm, I'm going to do that apples and oranges thing a little bit again, Elliot, because, um, I, I wasn't, I didn't, 
you know, I was covering the women's game, so I was. I was By the way, they that. almost hit my Arsenal ten uh, bad guys nil. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were eleven nil up at one stage, yeah. and uh, I, I had a chat with the manager afterwards. Uh, you know, off the record, and they went three at the back. And usually, I quite enjoy talking about this with Joe because he really likes going into his tactics and stuff. And I asked him about it, expecting like some kind of answer, like some kind of like you know, tactical answer and for him to use like quite technical language like he usually does. And he just went, no, I just, and they went three at the back for the first time this season. And he just said, no, I just wanted one more attacker on the pitch. And uh, he didn't say it in as many words, but he was just like, look, Bristol aren't very good. They conceded the most goals in the league. Um, We were at home. I wanted one more attacker on the pitch. So it, it wasn't really a tactical move. It was just a, they're crap we've got loads of good attackers let's just have three defenders and he said you know i knew it was a risk i knew sometimes that they would break and one of our center backs would be one-on-one with their strikers but we dealt with it when it happened and and that's kind of what you're saying exactly yes sometimes when you play for a big team sometimes that's the fucking job it's a bit like a goalkeeper you know you know you see these goalkeepers that play for mid-table teams or lower teams and and they look great because they've got shots coming at them every two minutes and they're switched on and they're warmed up and i think it's far easier to save shots when they're raining down on you than it is when you might only get one or two to deal with the game and that's the difference with being a goalkeeper at a big club is staying switched on for 88 minutes and making that one save you might need to make when you need to make it and yeah you're right it's the same as being a centre-back at a big club you might get exposed once in a while but that's the job yeah and to be fair referencing goalkeeper just a quick word for Leno who was fantastic and and kept this a draw not a loss you know the only area where I will disagree with myself Tim about this whole thing of this is the job and defenders have to do it at a big club to be fair i reference liverpool and city for example who do get into these situations but they might get into two of them a game because they make mm-hmm. it very difficult for you to generate those situations we have 10 of them a game and that's the problem we're too easy yeah. to counterattack. so clive do you want to talk about that spacing and how we get sucked out of central areas and overloaded in the wide spaces and make that counterattacking opportunity too easy to generate yeah, that's 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 been pretty obvious for a while. I, I think um, the key thing for me is is the squad makeup. I, I wrote a big Twitter thread on I think Saturday after the last podcast, sort of going through each one of our players and and sort of saying what system they suit. So I sort of prefaced and said, look, there are three ways to play. We could play a controlling game, pushing teams back. That doesn't suit all of our forwards. Our two most expensive forwards are really counter-attack forwards in Pepe and Aubameyang. It might suit Lacazette, hence why he's better at home. But it doesn't always suit the others because we create crowd teams, right? So that's a, that's a difficulty. If we push teams back, our defenders can't cope because they can't run and they're not good one-on-one defenders. So then if you go into a counter-attack team, which I think Emery was trying to do, we haven't got the resilience, defensive resilience, to stop shots. Um, our offensive security is not very good and our midfielders sometimes get caught out in big spaces. If you go into a mid-block, it maybe suits people like Torreira where you can steal, steal the ball and we can push it to our sort of on a quick transition. But again, I don't think we're athletic enough in centre midfield and we're definitely not athletic enough at the back. So we have this squad that's totally not suited to one particular style of play. So what you have to decide as a coach, you have to say, who do I invest in? What's it, what type of football am I going to play? 
who am I going to invest in? Who am I going to give the best circumstances to? But the issue is, once you if you invest in a Bamiyang and say and play counter-attack and deep block to protect our slow defenders, we as fans say, why are Arsenal playing mid-table football? Right? So, so we have a problem. We have a massive problem. And the problem is the recruitment of the players that we have don't fit any discernible style that any of us like. There's not enough of them. So if I'm Freddie right now, I'm thinking, what do I lean into? I can't just lean to my forwards because they're a particular type of forward. If I had a Giroud forward, for example, I could push teams back and I could make sure I have presence in the centre of the pitch. I don't have that. So he's caught. And I'm, and I'm wondering what he's going to actually do. And this is why I'm, I wasn't surprised to see... I was pleased to see how he started the game, but I wasn't surprised to see how the game ended. I mean, we could have easily lost that game because it's down to the quality of footballer. We haven't got Lauren, Campbell, Torre and Cole, four killer one-on-one defenders that are sharp on the front foot and amazing on the back foot. We haven't got those players. What we have are far, far less players that don't solve problems for us on the pitch, don't allow a basis for us to play. We don't have speed, athleticism in the centre midfield. We, and one of our biggest issues, you know, we're all focused because we're fans and we're focused with what happens, you know, defensively and off the ball. But I actually think we, we were encouraged in the first 30 minutes and I, and I definitely was. I, once I calmed down, I became much more positive. But... I actually think our offensive security is our biggest issue. We are terrible on the ball as well because we stand where we like and we turn over possession and we give people opportunities because we don't know where to stand in case we lose the ball. I've said it before, offensive security, technical security on the ball and our offensive distances are just letting people in and we're letting letting them in to people who don't fix it. They then become worried and then they drop away because they haven't got the attributes to be one-on-one, either confidence-wise, size-wise, speed-wise. They haven't got it. And so this is going to be a real challenge. And I think if I'm Lundberg now, I would lean into energy. I would lean into speed. I would try to pick the fastest team that I have and just lift the energy. And I think from there we'll get to a bit more confidence and just brighten it up a little bit. Don't drop away. Just gamble, gamble, gamble. But try to be a little bit more circuset. But add more intensity and energy in the middle of the park and in wide areas. And I think then we can develop the first run of the ladder of confidence to get back to the Arsenal style of football. That's that's what I do. But it's, it is a massive, massive challenge in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I joked at the beginning of the pod, you know, the players, you know, another uh, poor result under a new manager. Are we the baddies? Like... There is going to come a point where we are going to have to take a good long look at this squad and wonder about it. I, I got a new a little Twitter back and forth about you know what's the best eleven, and any best eleven you pick either feels unbalanced or has two absolute train wreck center backs in it, or it has a kid at wing back, or it has a midfield that makes no sense. It does start to get difficult to pick something. I mean, Joe Willick, I don't, I don't think he's ready. I think the other thing that we've done by getting rid of players like Ramsey and McTarian and Awobi and I'm not you know and, and Kashelny, I'm not saying these are guys that we absolutely need or we're great, but you want Academy kids to get opportunities, 
But you don't want academy kids to have to play 1,500 minutes, 1,000 minutes, 2,000 minutes in key positions for the success of the team, you know, for the team to have a successful season. I I think we are bordering on overdoing it there because at the end of the day, and we've, we've talked about this a lot on the pod, you're lucky if one academy kid in a generation becomes even a regular first-team player, let alone a star, and we've got four or five of them playing important roles all over the squad, all over the season. So that's nothing to look at. Tim, let's um, let's quickly talk about the front line. Uh, I want to talk Pepe in a minute, but I do want to talk Lacazette and Aubameyang. Mm-hmm. They've got this bromance, and because they've got this bromance, I think there's been a perception that they play well together. I don't know that that's ever been true. In fact, I think our one really good spell in terms of performances under Emery came last year, I think it was March roughly, and Aubameyang was playing up front by himself quite a bit. At the beginning of this season, was Lacazette injured, I believe, and Aubameyang played up front by himself mm. and was in red-hot scoring form. I don't know how I feel about Lacazette. I think he's a good player. I think calling him elite mm. might might be overstating it. I think he's a very, very good player, a second striker that any club would be thrilled and lucky to have, and we are lucky to have him. I don't know that he should be playing striker at the expense of Aubameyang being in the box. And I'm curious if you're starting to come around to the idea that that's, that's a decision that Freddie or whoever comes next is just going to have to make. Oh yeah. Big time, big time. Yeah. 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 Like I, you know, that, that attack just doesn't fit together. And I've, you know, I've never been convinced that there's a way of making it work. Um, really a head has to roll. I mean, I think they probably didn't, envisage bringing Ozil back into the fold I think they probably thought well the presence of Pepe completely finishes Ozil but even then Lacazette, Aubameyang and Pepe doesn't doesn't really fit together without you know without a square peg in a round hole somewhere and I'm not you know I'm not sure that Pepe and Aubameyang are complementary wingers either I think the thing is, like, I, I like Lacazette. I think he's a good player. I think he gives a structure. I think his work rate as well, because it, it, like in old money, in terms of a four-four-two, I think Lacazette and Aubameyang would be a really good strike force because, um, like, I, I don't think they're quite as telepathic as, as people maybe think because they're friends, but that they kind of, they complement each other insofar as um, Lacazette, does a lot of the structure, the, a lot of the hustling and stuff like that, kind of outside the box. Like Lacazette kind of does that almost like, um, not in the same way, but that kind of Emil Heskey uh, kind of role. And I know people all laugh at that, but I think Emil Heskey was a really good player um, as a second striker. Um, and, and all the strike partners he played with loved playing with him, like in that kind of old four four two. And, and, you know, Aubameyang can just kind of get on with it in the box. But in this day and age, that, that, that doesn't really work. And I guess, and it's not easy. I'd, like, I, I don't really know. Um, like, I can't say for absolute certain how I'd line the front players up. I think, though, what we do have to think is that that some of these players aren't our future. You know, Ozil's not our future. Um, and I'm not saying that means drop him, get rid of him, you know, isolate him or anything else. But and Lacazette and Aubameyang are stalling on contracts at the moment. At the moment, of the lot of them, Pepe is the future. Interesting. And yeah, yeah, but just because Lacazette and Aubameyang will have what one year on their contracts in the summer, and if as looks quite likely, we're not in the Champions League, they're probably going to go. So like, 
you know, maybe if you were making a long-term decision, you'd say, well, look, let's make sure this is an attack that, that Pepe can work in. Um, and, and I understand that's difficult because you are still trying to convince the other two to sign contracts. But Lacazette especially doesn't look happy to me at the moment. He looks he looks miserable um, to me, quite frankly. And he's not really playing that well, particularly away from home. I, th- I think definitely, you know, Fred is talking about simplifying things. To simplify this, basically you say to Lacazette, look, your output away from home at the moment is not good enough. You don't play in away games and in away games we focus a bit more on a counter-attacking game and that means Pepe on the right Aubameyang up front we try and get those two together we try and get those two working together and you know what and if it means like on the left playing I don't know Nelson or Martinelli or Saka or one of those like just with a a little bit more structure um, you know have one you know maybe someone like Nelson just doing kind of doggies up and down the left and just kind of holding the line and holding the structure and just letting Pepe and Aubameyang kind of freestyle a little bit and letting those two develop a relationship um, together. Um, it, it It's a difficult question, but with regards to Lacazette, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think definitely away from home, you look at it at the moment and you just say, sorry, mate, you're not doing enough. And we've got other big players to come in and that's, that's life at a big club um you know and if and when you move on in the summer somewhere else you're going to find the same thing you're going to find that you know life at a big club's hard and that's why so um yeah i i think the way i'd tackle at the moment is definitely away from home um i'd be taking lacazette out until such time that he contributes more and I, I think it's also, you know, look, it's one thing if you have a player playing who's not giving you enough, but I think it is another thing when the player who is playing that is maybe not giving you enough is causing you to not get the most out of a player who you know has superstar potential. Obama Yang could be in the decline, it's entirely possible, but he was Golden Boot winner last season. He started this season like a house on fire. Look at his average touch map and his influence map from this game. First half, a little bit more central. Second half, he's out on the wing next to Chambers by the midfield stripe. I mean, he's he's just nowhere near the goal, and that's just not going to work. I think we have to have the Pepe conversation, though. And Clive, you're a coach. I hate this. I hate this idea, this fetish, fetishizing of training. I know this is going to get me abused, so I'm sorry. Listen, if you're listening to this, I'm not trying to be a jerk. It's just a different way of looking at it. As Alan Iverson once famously said practice we're talking about practice right i mean he didn't say it like that though he said it like a human man and not a parrot or a parakeet um clive why are we talking about practice like you and i i understand sunk cost fallacy he spent 72 million pounds on him you got to give him an honest chance the analytics guys think he actually looks like he's been decent this season very vertical very good at ball progression lots of dribbles just hasn't come off for him in the final third um, you know, maybe hasn't linked up as well because maybe Emery's system wasn't working for him. I don't know the reason, but like to not use him at all at this point, like you're devaluing the asset. If nothing else, you're not going to get your 72 million pounds back at this rate. But to Tim's point, he's the future. He is and Oban and Lacazette aren't. So what are we doing? What are we doing? Okay, well, I I I, I like Pepe. Um, in the summer, I, I I would have preferred to Hartland because I knew more about him, and I think we had a a left side issue rather than a right side issue. But hey, we went for Pepe and looking for a future investment. I understood it, and um, I loved the YouTubes. And when he came on board, 
I thought he looks incredibly promising, incredibly technical. He just seems to have a, a last step issue, whether he's shooting or he just seems to lose a little bit of confidence in the last phase. But I think I think that will come. So I do think he's the investment that needs to work. We have to remember earlier about about football, right? It the the place of work is London Colney. Right? That is where everything happens. It is like a closed shop family environment there. Everything is incredibly tight and everything happens there. And it's not just training. It's how you are around the place that really counts. What you do, how you operate, how you engage. That is your office. That is your office. Now, we fans think the Saturday is the office, but actually the Saturday is the bit they all look forward to. It's the fun day. It's the fun day out. That's when you go somewhere else. The place of work is London Colney. And that's where hierarchies are set. That's where the one-on-ones are set. That's when the 8v8s are set. That's when people really see people's quality as a person and as a footballer. And Freddie said, it's what I see in training every day. Right? And I think that was a quote. I might have missed it. But what he's saying is not just training. It's everything else. Right? And and what we hear about, you know, coming out of training grounds is, is I bet it's nothing to what really goes on. I mean, I know you've been there, Tim. I've been to the training ground. And trust me, mate, it is tight. It is tight there. You're either Arsenal or you're not. And it's got that feeling. And it's it's something that I can't explain. I just can't explain to you about what the inside of a club is really, really like. But once you're there, things are said, actions are noted, you're always being observed. And Pepe needs to get into the team. Now, I personally think he should be in the team, particularly away from home. I agree with everything Tim just said. But he has to get into the team. He wasn't in Emery's last team. And he's not in Freddie's first team. He may be in a team on, on Thursday night. But I, he just goes to show you the importance of messaging. Emery said the same thing about Ozil. I, you know, I don't, he's not training well, not doing well in training. Gets killed for it. Freddie said it. He's not getting killed for it. It's his first day. I get it. But he's confident to just say it. Right? He's got confidence in what he's doing. So something can't be right. And we have to trust him. We have to trust him. Even though we hope that Pepe, we're all desperate for it to work, right? We don't want to be sitting there with a £70 million embarrassment on our hands because we all get laughed at by our mates. We want it to work, but it's not working yet. And something's going on. And maybe it hasn't hit the it hasn't hit the airwaves yet, but something's going on for the last two managers to not pick him. I just hope wherever he is, he can be fixed because we need that player, particularly away from home. We need that player because we miss that technical mm. player that scares people. I'm, I'm quite secure on the ball. Yeah, I mean, I've got so many thoughts about this, and 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 look, I'm not a manager, I'm not a coach, so I don't know. I just the first of all, there's some horrible cunts that get played and are good at football who are bad around the training ground, bad around the club, and on match day are killers that you want in your squad. I will never forget that game at Anfield where Alexis was benched for a half. His teammates fucking wanted him out there in the second half, even if they hated him. He was being disciplined for being a cunt of a teammate, but he needed to be out there because he was the best player we had. Um, I'm not saying that's what you want, but I mean, Luis Suarez is not a good guy, not a good guy, but good, good footballer. Um, you know, Eden Hazard famously has been quoted as not training well. Best player in the Premier League. We are talking about the best players. No, all right, right, but but hang on. The very best players. I I get it. And Pepe's yet to prove it. No, of course. I I, I hear what you're saying. It's not, it's not a crash, Eddie. It's not a crash, you know. Uh, But but it's more than that. Can I make a point though? Like, yes. Clyde, there's another point though, right? Like, 
we've got a lot of players who are bad on match day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like I get it. If you've got a team full of guys that are good on match day and you got to train hard and work right to get into that squad, that's a healthy squad. That's a healthy team. But if you've got a team full of guys that are bad on match day and you're leaving out a very talented player because he's not training well, well, why do you keep picking the bad on match day, guys? Why is match day less important than training? I just... You know, again, I'm not saying that Pepe should be allowed to stroll around the training pitch and do whatever he wants. I'm not sure I believe that's the case. What I know is that Mesut Ozil eventually was brought back to play to try to save Emery's job. And I, I am I am personally not convinced that he turned it around completely on the training ground. So I, I don't know. It is a very confusing situation. None of us know the case. I will say this. If Pepe's not going to work out here, we've made a colossal mistake that fucks us. Because we bought an early 20-something potential superstar for 72 million pounds, and he's not had a chance. He's not had a chance. He's not had a proper chance. And if that's his fault, I'm not blaming Freddie or Emery right here. I'm saying if that is his fault, it's still really, really, really bad for the club. Because we're not going to get 72 million pounds back for a guy we won't even use. So, I don't know. And, you know, with super agents involved, it gets trickier. Um, I want to start to wrap up the conversation on the game and look forward a little bit to just what's going to happen with the managerial situation. But, Tim, the... uh, you know, the the second half looked a lot more like Emery Ball. The first the first half felt a lot more like mm-hmm. Arsenal. The second half felt a lot more like Emery Ball. One of the things I'm starting to wonder is, do we just have a particularly unfit squad? Because we just seem to really run out of legs and, and ideas and ability to to keep up that intensity. I mean, what what do you attribute what do you attribute the fall off in quality um in terms of the pace of the movement of the ball, in terms of our ability to control the game, what do you attribute that to in the second half? I, th- I think a lot of it, I mean, obviously I'm speculating, I think a lot of it was actually down to confidence on this occasion. We've done this quite a lot this season where like, we equalised and we equalised in good time and you think, right, here we go. Now we can get control back of this game and uh, see what we can do. But I don't know. And, and this wasn't something that happened. I don't think this happened under... Emery at the start but it was something that's certainly been happening all season that you know Arsenal just finish games like they just don't finish games strongly at all um so that's something that's really really dropped off I think um and I, I I don't I don't know if it's physical um maybe it is a little bit physical again you know we we spoke about how physically we're not the most uh, like athletic impressive squad um but this one, this just really looked to me like the instant we equalised, we looked like, I don't know whether, well, we didn't look like we were trying to protect the result because we were wide open. But I don't know, it just looked like their tiny little brains exploded and they thought, oh, God, what do we do now? And I, I just think that's something that you do when you're just not confident because, I mean, I, I I didn't see the whole game, right? But I watched the highlight extended highlights of Leicester's game against Everton and Leicester were 1-0 down and Everton were playing pretty well. Everton sprung a surprise, went three at the back. Leicester weren't expecting it. And, and then they changed something and Brendan Rodgers put an extra striker on. And then the last 20 minutes, even though they were a goal down, you know when you can just see it in a team that they're confident and they think, right, no, we've got this, we've got this. If we keep plugging away, we're going to get this. And and they did. And Arsenal just looks the complete opposite of that at the moment. It's, right, shit, it's 2-2. What do we do now? Because if we, if we massively overcommit, we might lose. And But we keep sitting back and that's not working either. And, and you know... The, 
it just kind of looks like they look like they're caught between a rock and a hard place in their own minds. And I don't know, Arsenal just, I think they just really need a result at the moment by hook or by crook. They just need to win a game um, and see something out or, <coughs> excuse me, they either need to see a game out or they need to successfully chase a game and win it late just to give themselves that little bit of confidence. I, I, I really think that's what's missing the most. And I'm sorry, maybe this rose back to the, the Pepe issue a little bit too, though, Tim, but like, I'm sorry, but we're, we finished the game. Who were the subs we brought on? We yeah. brought on Lucas Torreira, fine. We brought on Martinelli and Saka. They're kids. They are kids, and I don't care how talented they are. And they are very talented. And if you're good enough, you're young enough. I get it. But we also thought Henrik Lansbury was talented, and we thought J. Emmanuel Thomas was talented, and we thought Rio Miachi was talented, and we thought the Jeff was talented. And I'm not saying they weren't talented, by the way. But they didn't make it. They didn't make it at Arsenal, okay? These guys might make it. They might. But you cannot be a big club in the Premier League and be chasing games every week with 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds and 20-year-olds as the no. guys you're turning to. Go ahead. So I, I, I definitely, Martinelli coming on, fine. I think he's playing really, really well. And, you know, he, he doesn't play Is like he a 17? kid. Is he 17? 18. 18. I mean, still, gosh, he's so young. But I, I, that, that one I'm fine with just because I think he's playing well at the moment. Saka, I think, um, and I'm not having a go at him, obviously. Of I mean, Saka hasn't done anything in a couple of months now, as far as I can see. Um, he's kind of just looks like he's been meandering, you know, like a lot of the players. But I, I haven't seen anything from Saka in quite a while that makes me think, yeah, put him on. Um, whereas Martinelli, yeah, I'd say, yeah, I've, I've seen something in him recently. I've seen contributions um, and not just in the Europa League games. You know, he set up Lacazette's equaliser against Southampton. I've seen stuff from him that makes me think, yeah, OK, yeah, throw him on. But like, honestly, just ask yourself the question very, very honestly. Who do you think is more likely to make a game-winning contribution from the bench, uh, Bakayo Saka or Nicola Pepe? Exactly. Exact. And by the way, like, I'm not saying Pepe is great or he's training. Right. I'm not defending the guy, but he is a. He had the fourth most goal involvements in all of Europe last season. You know, at some point you're 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 expecting too much from 18-year-olds. Is I mean, Clive, mm. am I crazy? Like, look, Willick starts the game. Saka and Martinelli end the game. These are players who now, you know, I, what are we at? We're at, let's look. Saka has now made seven appearances with four starts in the Premier League. Um, Martinelli, six appearances in the Premier League. Let's look at, uh, where's, where's Willock? Eleven appearances in the Premier League. That's, by the way, the same number as Lucas Torreira. Like, and, and I get it, Willock is... Willick is 20. That's a little older. You know, I mean, you got Matteo Ganduzzi. It's another story. I mean, we want to kill the kid, but he's also 20. He's got 1,221 minutes and 14 starts. More minutes and as many starts as Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. So, like, I mean, Clive, we are, we are asking young people to do grown-up stuff at a big club that is in crisis. It's not good for them. I'm not sure it's good for us either. No, I agree. And the Pepe thing was strange. And yeah, we we all we all happy in the summer with the squad turnover, but the real benefit of that is it's just not here yet. We 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 just sort of kept some older established players, lost some good working players, and we've invested in some younger players, and we have a number of them in the squad, and and so the benefit of that won't be seen 
I mean, I was desperate for Pepe to come on. I wanted Lacazette to come off. I wanted I wanted Aubameyang to go central. And I wanted him, I wanted him to be flanked with with more legs to really make Norwich think for the last twenty of the game. They're thinking, "Crikey, look at these two fresh wide men. I, I better step back." You know, so that's what I would have done. You know, and just kept it that way. Willock blew up. Torreira on, who I thought was was really really good, and I I just felt we just didn't. We didn't react very smartly. So, again, it's Freddie's first game. He's trying to show maybe a bit of his identity. We're not too sure. It's always it's, it's too easy to say that he knows the youngsters, so he trusts the youngsters. But he doesn't know Martinelli really more than any of us do. You know, Saka was his superstar player last last season. But this is this is a new year, right? And I just felt there was an opportunity there. And I tell you what, when Torreira had that shot in the last minute and it was blocked. I just felt we needed that, you know, for all the things that have happened recently with the coach losing his marbles and really losing his confidence and making bad decisions. And obviously we've had a turnover. The club weren't ready for it. Hence, we were still building a backroom staff internally. So we're, in, we're not in the best place. We could have just done with the break. You know, Pookie had that shot. Hits, Mustafi goes in. We have a shot last minute and, and it's blocked and it's properly blocked. I just feel we, if we get that result, that confidence will start to come back. And that sounds like an obvious thing to say, but boy, I've never seen an Arsenal team not win for this length of time in my... I can't remember the last time, you know? So um, we need that win and things will change after that. But we have to be smarter in our decisions, right? So what do, we've started to see the start of a shape, a 4-3-3 shape. If we can just develop on that, and just up the energy and up the speed and up the, up the quality of some of the players. Make sure we get Bellerin back in when he's healthy and and let's play our seventy-two million pound player. Let's 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 judge him. Let's find out because I thought he was flickering before he got took out the mm-hmm. team, and I'm desperate for him. We kept him in when he was absolutely diabolical. We kept picking him. He just scored a couple of goals, started to play well, and we put him on the bench. Uh, I don't get it. I, I really don't get it. You know so. Like this is why I say, is this something that we don't know? That's all I can explain. Well, I do think one of the things we've been doing at our club, Clive, and I think it's a dangerous activity. We have been filling in blanks that when things don't make sense, we assume the people in charge know what they're doing and they're making healthy choices because we don't like the alternative explanation, which is maybe they're making bad choices. And by the way, or maybe they're not very good. Well, maybe they're not very good. Look, I, I am not going to sit here and say Freddie's dumb or Emery was even dumb. Although I think Emery. Well, anyway, I'm not. You know, I'm not going to say Raul's dumb. But like, what I will say is. You know, I've been in business for a long time with a lot of very, very dumb people. A lot of smart people, too. But it astonishes me how many people rise up to high levels in organizations and are just not good at what they do. Just not remotely good at what they do. Make head-scratchingly bad decisions at the simplest level every day. Our, our, our society is rife with that. <laughs> just look at politics. But, like, the notion that the only explanation for why something dumb is happening is that there's something we don't know that makes it less dumb... I hope that's right. Clive, believe me, I hope that's right. I, I And I don't even know if I hope that, because there's two possibilities. Pepe isn't playing because there's something really, really wrong about Pepe, which is scary. Or Pepe isn't playing because the people at Arsenal are dumb, and that's not great either. So hopefully he just starts playing and starts succeeding. I, I think we can start to turn to the finish line here. What I will say is that, like, look, you know how you nurture kids? You give them 15 minutes up 3-0 against Norwich at home. You give them a half against Southampton up 2-0 at home. You give them the Europa League and the, Ca- the the Carling Cup and maybe an FA Cup half against Leeds. Like That's how you nurture kids. 
bringing on Martinelli and Saka to try to rescue Norwich away when you're on an unprecedented non-winning streak. I don't. I just don't. I don't see that being good for anyone. So we'll just have to see how it bears out. And again, I'm not killing Freddie. I'm not doing that. He needs time. And the other question is like, why should Freddie know how to be a head coach? He's never been one. You know, I, I, this is very soon for him to have this much responsibility. So it's gonna that's gonna take time too. I don't know that I loved the. You know, the, did you guys see the video Arsenal posted on the account about um you know Freddie staring into the camera like saying how like honored he was to take charge of Arsenal. And it had a little bit of class to it, but maybe a little bit of, like, hostage message to it. Like, I was expecting him to hold up a newspaper because, like, all right, Freddie, we get it. You were an invincible. You were a legend. You were a player we admire. But, like, you're in the big chair now. You don't have to play the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer role, the I have Arsenal DNA, I love this club. Just go manage the club. You know what I mean? I'll, I love you as a player forever no matter what, but as a manager, just go manage the club. It's a different thing. Um, so let's wrap it up with this. I mean, Tim, in your mind... How long should Freddie be the manager? What should the process be, and when should it be wrapped up? Um, well, I, I, actually, I just want to pick up on the the, the Arsenal DNA point yes, there, like because um, I, I I don't think that's him doing that, and I find it really alarming. That's what Josh. I meant about a hostage message. I think he's being pushed yeah, to do yeah. it exactly to try to yeah, play on yeah, the yeah. fans. This is this is leveraging the fans' love yeah. for the club to get an outcome that gives them yeah. time that they don't deserve. Yeah, and it's it's Josh Conkey who keeps saying it as well. And it's because, you know, it's that thing I always say, Arsenal have to talk so much because they don't actually do anything and they're not trying to do anything. And so they have to keep lying about all the stuff they're doing. And this is just textbook, you know, a guy who really doesn't know what he's doing, doesn't know what he means, doesn't know what he's saying. And he's just going, he's just playing to the gallery. He's going for cheap points. And it's horrible, like, so transparent, like, corporate speak. Like, the fact... What, like what the fuck is Arsenal DNA? Like it doesn't it doesn't exist. It's ridiculous. If you and had it, you'd Freddie probably Lombard, die like, because you're supposed to have human yeah. DNA. So you know. Well, yeah, yeah, and like what, like what? Where does it come from? Which decade? Like, does it come from the last decade? Because if he's got Arsenal DNA from the last decade, I don't fucking want any of that. Um, so you know, like, sorry, I'm going on a rant there, but like, <laughs> I get it. You're right. Just stupid, and they're like, taking I, us for fools, and they're and they're making yeah. and they're making Freddie the tool to do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just typical, horrible corporate speak from, you know, a guy who just doesn't give a fuck about this club and is just trying to score cheap points. So he can shove that Arsenal DNA up his asshole, as far as I'm concerned. Um, can, you, anyway, can you expand onto, on that and tell me how you really feel? Though? <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, on to your actual question about how long he should be in charge. I mean... <laughs> I, I think he should be in charge, basically, as as long as it takes to find you know within a reasonable time frame as long as it takes to find the next good person available and i understand that's difficult because there really isn't a standout candidate i don't think they should absolutely rush if the right person isn't there yet if if they think or they've got a good indication that someone that they think would be really good who is perhaps not available till the summer personally i'd be all right to wait until the summer um I, I tend to think this season is pretty close to a write-off anyway in league terms. I don't, I don't think we're quite there, but, you know, I think we're not, we're perhaps not far away. Um, so I, I, you know, I'd rather as much as this season shouldn't be a write-off and that's very damaging. I'd rather write this season off and get it right in the summer. If, if that is indeed the scenario, if, if they think they can get someone now, then so basically what I'm saying is I don't think they should really put a, super strict time frame on this 
Um, and, you know, unless after four or five games, it just becomes clear that, like, Jungberg's massively out of his depth and he's an idiot or something. Um, in, in which case, you know, then you've, you've got a you've got a kind of uh, put your finger in the dike, as it were, and go again. But, um, yeah, I, I'm I'm not personally, I'm not because I don't have a, like a super favorite that I really, really want. I'm, I'm not personally in a massive rush. Um, I, th- I think it should just take as long as it needs to take. And Lord knows that a lot of Arsenal's problems are, you know, with their playing squad in particular, are because they've rushed into silly decisions um, that they probably didn't need to make. And um, I, d- I don't think they can afford to do that again. Yeah. Um, I don't want to go too deep into this because we we cover it extensively, uh, Ryan and I do, in the next segment. But what I will say to that, Tim, is the only concern I have with your point about take your time and do it right. They do give a Champions League place for winning the Europa League, which is hilarious, but makes it fairly important. And so I think the club has to at least have one eye on being able to win that competition because we can pretty much walk to the semifinal and yeah. that means yeah go ahead yeah yeah but but at the same time i, I don't think it's a cup competition you know roberto di matteo won the champions league um with chelsea um as an interim uh Ra- i know he's more experienced but rafa won it as an interim with chelsea i i think with cup i think you're right it's, it's definitely got that importance but at the same time i think it's a cup i don't think we can make an appointment you know, based on what we might do in the Europa League. And in fact, I think that's probably what we did with Unai Emery. Yeah. All right. Well, Clive, I'll let you have the last word on this. Just a couple quick minutes on on Freddie's time, timeline, what it should be, what the process should be, and then uh, we're going to say goodbye. Yeah, I, I'm open to it. I, 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 last week, I think I spoke to getting a manager to fix all of my Wells problems because I, I, doubt, I doubt the leadership, and I still do. And I think we need a strong person to almost manage internally. But I'll step back from that slightly. I think um, I think Arthur got to decide what they want to be. And I think they have issues around how they buy players, buy and sell players. That's number one for me. If you get good players, coaches look great. Boards look great. Managing directors look great. Everyone looks great when you, when you have good players who can solve your problems on the pitch. I think our problems start there. Our recruitment over the last five years has been nigh on shocking. And people that we sold were the wrong ones. The people that we retained were the wrong ones. Some of the ones we gave away for free were the wrong ones. If we can do it, we've done almost everything wrong. Even our last, even though we bought two set of fours that we only needed one, potentially bought a wing and gave one away for 35 million and bought one for 70 million. Now we don't play him. We've got centre backs that are five foot ten that can't run. We got we got we got two of those, two or three of those, you know, and then we, and just to try to fix it all, we buy David Louise. I mean, you just couldn't you, you couldn't make it up, right? You, you just couldn't make it up. Unlucky with a couple of cruciates, they're coming back, but really they've got a long way to go before they come back. So we we got problems, right? So would a manager, you know, if I'm a manager now, a big time manager, I'm thinking let let Freddie carry this lot through this season. The players can self-motivate, Di Matteo style, because the players won that Champions League. Nothing to do with Di Matteo and Eddie Newton. They were, the, they were like a couple of tourists, right? The players at Chelsea were strong enough to win that, and they did. 
I hope that our players are strong enough to shake their legs around to win the Europa League because that's the only way we're getting into the Champions League. I'd actually be happy if we were out of Europe next year completely unless we qualify via the Europa League because we need time. We need time. We need focus on the league. We need time to rebuild. We need a complete turnover of a number of players that are not modern, intense, physical and technically secure enough at the top level. And it's obvious what's happening. Yes, we've had a bad we've had a bad situation with the coach over the last two, three months. But I'm telling you, Brighton are rocking up this week. Brighton are decent. They've got a good manager who's to manage Ostersons and Graham Potter. I think you know, somebody that maybe we should have looked at a little bit earlier. We, we lost to his uh, Ostersons, I, I will remind yeah, you. <laughs> I remember, I remember, right? So, uh, and trust me, Thursday night is going to be touch and go. And if he's looking to establish himself, I think he just signed a new six-year contract, and that's because somebody knocked his door to try and get him. He's looking to establish himself. What better way to establish yourself than go to a big six club and win away from home? I tell you now, we got we got a lot to do, but hopefully at home with, with a few more red seats filled up, a bit more confidence, a bit more front footedness. We lean into our quality up front. Hopefully they can do the job and keep teams, you know, keep people away from us. But I'm very fifty fifty at the moment. Really. I'm very nervy about where yeah. we can end up. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned wanting to just not be in Europe at all. You might get your wish considering where we are on the table. This this whole thing of the Europa League winner getting a Champions League place really changes the calculus. Because I've always thought you're better off not being in the Europa League at all. But given that we've seen that a berth in the semifinal is basically assured to us even when we suck shit. Like, you're two games away from a, a, a Champions League place for doing fucking nothing. So, you kind of have to be in the Europa League, unfortunately. Anyway, um, you know what? It's it's all going to get great from here. I feel I feel the turnaround coming. I think 1.76 acres on Twitter had mentioned that we need to be on about an 84 point pace the rest of the season to make top four. Roughly, seems doable. Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter at uh, Clive PAFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name is Alex Smith, Blackman Twitter, and again, we're going to take a break. We'll come back with Ryan Hunt from the Stadio Podcast. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Clive PAFC, and you can make him sing for the holidays. If you want to do Why forward slash Stoberto or Yankee Gunner <laughs> or Paul AFC, you can make one of us sing. I mean, you've heard me sing plenty. No one wants to hear that anymore. Hey, Clive, happy birthday to your wife. Yeah, I better go and check hey, she's still there. did you get her some lingerie? <laughs> Um, no. Oh, Clive, we're going to hook you up. Because guess who's back? Guess who's back? Back again. Sexy drawers. Tell a friend. Because we got the enclosed back for the holidays. And uh, we're going to tell you all about it. And then we'll take a break. And then uh, we'll come back with Ryan Hunt. Stay with us. All right, it's time to tell you about our friends at The Enclosed. That's right, Enclosed Lingerie is back, and we are thrilled to have them back for the holiday season because it's just in time for you to get something for your partner. Forget the flowers and the sweaters or something like that, especially a gift certificate. Now you can get them high-end luxury lingerie from The Enclosed. You don't have to wander through a mall awkwardly. You don't have to worry about the fit or the quality because it's always going to be backed by a perfect fit guarantee. And we can get $35 off your multi-month purchase just by using Arsenal at checkout. Just go to enclosed.gifts. That's easy enough. Enclosed.gifts. Be a holiday hero. Get her what she wants. It's something that's great for the relationship. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be high-end and fit perfectly every time. And then every month, you can look forward to that thing that is going to bring you closer together with that special person. So, enclosed.gifts is the site. 
Arsenal is the checkout code. Go there now to save $35 off any monthly, multi-month purchase. Enclosed.gifts. Do it now. And now we have a very special guest coming up. Uh, Ryan Hun is one of the hosts of the Stadio podcast where they get guests uh, like Ian Wright. And now he's on a podcast where they get guests like Ryan Hun. Uh, you can find <laughs> Ryan Hun on Twitter at Ryan Hun. And you can find Stadio podcast uh, at stadio.football or any place you find fine podcasts like his and like the one he is currently appearing on. Hello, Ryan. Hey, Elliot. How are you? Uh, really good. I uh, am glad to finally get a chance to speak with you. We were going to speak a while back when your Ian Wright interview came out. Uh, it is now a while past that, so at this point I'm sure everyone has listened to it. But before we dive into the sort of present state of Arsenal, I would mm. rather talk about virtually anything. So let's talk <laughs> about your interview with Ian Wright just really quickly um, and just how exciting it was to speak to him, what the experience was like, and uh, you know what, if anything, you maybe learned from that that you hadn't considered previously. Yeah, so for anyone who hasn't listened to it yet, Musa and I went to interview Ian right before the Victoria home game at the Emirates. And basically it was about this kind of on-running series that we're going to stagger through the podcast. So the podcast is just Musa and I talking about football every week, and we don't usually get phone-in guests. That could catch on. <laughs> it could do. Apparently it's quite a niche market. So, um, But we interviewed Gary Lineker and Ian Wright in the space of a couple of days about the art of finishing. And just sat down with Ian and he basically just got into really forensic detail about certain goals he'd scored, where he'd learned it from, the importance of playing Sunday league football. And it was just really interesting because I don't think, I think, well, I think, first of all, I think there's a whole generation of Arsenal fans who maybe don't realize just how great he was. And we've, we actually said it to him. It's not much of a spoiler, but if he was playing today with the ability that he had, he could play for Barcelona. He could play with in this Barcelona side. He was that good. And um, and also, just I don't think a lot of people hear him talking about goal scoring that much because he's such a big personality and he's just such a, you know, he's such a joker as well. Yeah, he's Hearing presently him. getting like maggots dropped on his head in a reality show and stuff like that. So yeah, I know. Well, we were yeah. saying actually, like when he comes out of the jungle, he doesn't know about Poch going or Mourinho being there or Emery being fired. So that guy has got a hell of a lot to take on when he gets out of there. Mm. But um, but yeah, basically, just hearing him go into really really fine detail about goal scoring and stuff, and it was it was some, it was amazing, man. I mean, I'm I'm a huge Arsenal fan. I've been an Arsenal fan all my life, and you know, if someone said one day you'd be sat there chatting to Ian Wright about that kind of stuff, and then share, sharing pie and mash with him before the game. You know, I, I, it's, it was just amazing. It was everything you would expect it yeah, to be. Yeah, it, it sounds fantastic. As someone who hosts a podcast and frequently has, I, I would say, like, disappointing guests that, that don't really live up to, to my hopes, uh, I can only <laughs> wonder what it would be like to have a guest of that quality. So uh, let's get more from you, though, Ryan. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, obviously, with Emery being sacked, I think there was this desire to to just sort of push the reset button and and refresh some of the positivity around the club. And, you know, I remember when Arson went, there was a real push to just kind of get behind Emery. And we, we, we had to do two Emery podcasts. I'm not sure if you were a listener at the time, but yeah, um, yeah. we had Emery podcast one, which people did not care for because it it was a bit <laughs> concerned about his appointment. So we had to come out with Emery podcast two, uh, which was sort of like us holding up the newspaper with a blindfold around our, our eyes. Uh, I'm curious, like, how... 
much of a relief it felt to you with Emery being sacked, and then maybe how much the football at the weekend was kind of a dispiriting reminder that that one move isn't going to fix everything that's problematic right now. Yeah, well, I think the the firing probably came a little later than it should have done. A little. I think if this, <laughs> I think if this had been Chelsea, it would have gone ages ago. And that's yeah. you know, say what you want about Chelsea, but they have a pretty good track record of firing managers when they need to be fired and sometimes before they need to be fired. And I think that it's a psychology that Arsenal fans and the club itself aren't particularly used to. So I can understand why they may be held off. But, but I think it was definitely the right thing to do. And, and to be honest, I'm, I'm as relieved for Unai Emery as I am for Arsenal fans because he didn't seem like a bad dude. You know, he seemed like quite a nice guy yeah, obviously, I don't think the fit was right, but some of the stuff that was coming out from press and from fans and stuff like that, when it a little, a little bit of it left me cold, if I'm being honest. Mm. So I think for him as well, you know, I think the the statement that he left was really, really nice. I'm not sure how much of it he wrote himself, but the sentiment itself was, I think, a really good move. And yeah, I mean. We actually spoke about it on Stadio to the, on the recent episode, the latest episode, about how I think that when you have a manager that really doesn't work that well, you need to, well, not necessarily you need to, but I think it is a good idea to make the next appointment that's on the opposite end of the spectrum, if that makes sense. So, for example, you had, after a legacy manager like Arsene, who created the club as we know it now, you have an outsider whose communication isn't great, whose ideas are maybe at odds with what the fans want and then so to go straight for someone straight for someone like Allegri I think would be a really bad look for the club because Mm. it's just too similar I think whether Freddie works out or not in the short term I think the fact that you have Freddie Lundberg and Per Mertesacker sat on the bench instantly gives you a little bit more leeway because it's just so aesthetically pleasing (laughs) as a fan and and, and also brings that connection back which I think that the fans have been losing over the last year. Um, so it kind of, it goes some way to heal some wounds in the short term. And not wanting to jump ahead too far, but I actually also said on the podcast today that in a strange way, I'm kind of pleased that we didn't just go and hammer Norwich 6-0 because it would have flipped expectation way too far in the other direction. I think it was good that we didn't lose the game good that we saw some positives but also keeping expectations in check a little bit that you know freddie isn't gonna turn us into barcelona 2011 after two training sessions no of course not and i just i don't want to be disagreeable but i would have taken the six nil (laughs) yeah i I mean i'm being a little bit flippant i know i get get you you know i'm just like (laughs) i think that it is quite uh, you saw the i actually posted a little thread about it when Emery got fired on friday and one of the things I said was that Arsenal have to be really careful not to fall into the same trap Manchester United did. And I think it is a little bit different because people tend to forget that Solskjaer had been a senior manager for five or six years at two clubs, whereas Freddie hasn't ever taken a senior managerial role. So it is a different situation, but obviously there are parallels. So I think that, yeah, it's going to, just because the fact it's Freddie for a start, it's going to, connect fans a little bit more and I think that you've seen it with Chelsea this season how much goodwill there's been towards that 
team because they just feel the fans feel a little bit more connected than they have done for a while yeah. and i think that that can you know give you a little bit more time well i think the soul shard thing is interesting because it is a really great uh, cautionary tale of what can happen appointing a former player getting a little bump and then getting way out over your ski tips with the exuberance about that bump and, and committing to the guy long term um you do worry about the Emperor's new clothes situation developing, because I even noticed, you know, just sort of tweeting during the game, as I often do, uh, inflammatory nonsense that, that people don't want to hear. I had uh, quite a few angry people in my mentions, but to be fair, I'm not sure I, in this case it was totally warranted, if I may defend myself momentarily, only because, you know, some of the things I was tweeting out were just questions about the selection or the substitutions. And there was definitely yeah. this attitude, like, he's had one training session, you know, shut the fuck up, let him do his thing. And and it's not that I'm saying he should be uh, Pep Guardiola day one or that, you know, I'm saying Freddie out after one game. What I'm saying is you have to be willing to discuss and analyze and question decisions that maybe are curious or, or harder to justify because the, the worry is that we pull an Emery. There was so much desire for him to be great that we were willing to look past poor underlying metrics, some head-scratching decisions, some uneven tactical choices for longer than maybe we should have for the sake of wanting to be happy and enjoy the change. So, Freddie could be great, he could be terrible. I certainly don't think he's a long-term uh, future at the position. That's my opinion. But what is your, your take on the kind of um, buffer or grace period that a new guy, and in this case, Freddie, deserves and what level of scrutiny is warranted versus what's you know too soon i think that's a really good question i think it's going to be such a cliche fence-sitting answer unfortunately but i just think we'll learn more the more games that freddie has i think it's so hard to call right now because <clears throat> I, I i mean i i personally think that we're going to have to Try ex- uh, well, we're going to have to go on a hell of a run to even finish top four. So I, I read somewhere, by the way, that like we essentially need to go on an eighty-four point pace to even <laughs> potentially get top four, and we've only ever accomplished eighty-four points twice in the Premier League year or something like that. So basically, we need to play at the pace of two of the best seasons in the history of the club to re- realistically get top four now. Yeah, but what you're saying is, Elliot, that it's not impossible. So you're saying there's a chance. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Until it's it's mathematically impossible, it's possible. But I do, yeah, I think think that he will, he obviously has a little bit of a different philosophy to Emery, and that's going to take time to implement. Um, So I think that he will have a grace period because I think that, I kind of think, yeah, like I said, I kind of think top four is done. Um, so maybe that will switch focus to the Europa League if we're going to get back into the Champions League. But I kind of liken, I, I liken it a little bit to, you know, when NBA teams just hit the reset button, trade everyone, get a load of pieces, and they kind of just rebuild. I wonder if Arsenal, Manchester United, the, like both clubs, that might be a good option. Because if you've got these super expensive players... And you're still so far away, and you're in this position now when you you need a new manager. It kind of feels like a good opportunity to reassess a little bit, and I think that, like they said before, they're in no rush to hire another manager. They feel Freddie has you know whatever. What did they say? There was a you know Freddie's the right man at the moment or whatever. Mm. 
the usual nonsense. Well, some reporting today that you know he he will certainly have a chance to be a, a consideration for the job long term. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's fair, probably. I think because if you look around Europe at the moment, there aren't currently a huge amount of managers available that would get me genuinely excited. Well, I was let, on let's talk about what would get you genuinely excited, but if we could, let's restrict that to football for the purposes of this conversation. <laughs> uh, by the way, it was 1.76 acres on Twitter. I'm pretty sure who gave me the stat on 84-point pace, and it's sort wow. of predicated on a basically average run-in for Chelsea and Leicester. But, um, so, I mean, for you, setting Freddie aside, uh, two things that I want to talk about. What should a short list look like? Should it be coherent in that... Well, it, sh- it should be coherent, but should it be coherent in that all of the managers sort of have a similar philosophy because that's what the club wants to go to footballing-wise? Should it be diverse because it reflects a variety of directions the club could, should go? Um, you know, Do you prefer to see someone hugely experienced or someone with upside who's untested? What is your sort of preferred approach to this, this search? And maybe who at the club do you think should be guiding it? Uh, what, what should that group look like? Well, I mean, in terms of a shortlist, I think that when those shortlists come out and people say that they're so random, I don't think everyone on the shortlist that gets leaked is actually on the shortlist. I think that... So you're saying there's a super secret shortlist? <laughs> well, I just think it's... I think Sanye has a track record of, you know, firing a load of smoke off in another direction and, you know, trying to catch everyone unawares. He did it at Barcelona. He did it last season with the pursuit of Zaha and then all of a sudden came came back with Nicolas Pepe. I think it's I think if, if if the club makes it too public who their absolute key target is, it does put them at a weakness from a negotiation point of view. I think that also it's kind of understandable if there are many different types of managers on the shortlist because we have a very varied squad in terms of playing style or age of players you know that there isn't a super super cohesive vision there that everyone in the squad fits into so therefore you that you can't identify one single type of candidate that fits our group because there isn't one if that makes sense yeah um in terms of who will be running the search i think obviously we know who it is so i mean i'd like but who would, you, who would you like to... I mean, obviously Raul is involved, and, and maybe Adu is too, but like, do you think H- Hasfami should be involved? He probably is. What about Stat DNA? Like, who, who... You know, should the should the youth team set up be involved? Because, you know, they're going to be responsible for developing the youth team to play according to the way the first team manager wants to play. Like, how how joined up should this be from, from top to bottom and across all of that beautiful org chart that Raul showed us? Mm-hmm. How connected should that be to the search, or should it just be this is Raul's job? He's going to go find it, and the club can figure it out once the guy's here. Well, I think a lot of it depends on Murtazaka actually, because it depends on what they're trying to, what kind of DNA, if you like, they're trying to instill in the youth setup now. So, if there needs to be a clear path from all of the youth teams straight through to say the under twenty threes into the first team, you know that classic. Cruyff restructuring Barcelona and La Masia and all that stuff that needs to make sense so that when they do get to the first team they're not hit with a completely different structure if you like playing style so that's definitely I think Per would be a, an interesting and probably quite important person involved in that process 
I think Hosfami is just mainly a contract guy, right? So, I mean, obviously, he, he's kind of important because you don't want to pay too much money and make sure the contracts are all watertight. But I would... I think Freddie's in an awkward position because if he really wants the job, obviously, then he's probably not going to feel too happy about being consulted for a potential successor. But I think what he has to say will be really important as well because, you know, he's coached under 23s. He's been at Wolfsburg as an assistant. Um, he's obviously now in charge. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's, I think it's a really interesting time. It's definitely more critical than it was when they were replacing Arsenal. This is way more critical because you've seen how quickly that's that decline can can take place at somewhere like Manchester United. You can you kind of have a bit of a free hit on the first one, and I remember saying at the time actually that it's not going to be the next guy who's going to be that successful at Arsenal. Probably it's probably going to be the one after or the one after that because it, it's really rare that you get someone to take over someone that great. And they maintain that level of of success. You've been yeah. class Pep like Guardiola when he went to Bayern Munich. I think tactically they were way more interesting than when he took over from Jupinkus. But Jupinkus left him a treble winning side. So and he never won the European Cup there. So it's super super hard when you take over from a legacy manager. And not admittedly, Jupinkus wasn't necessarily a, a, a legacy manager, but he was definitely like a Bayern legend. So I think. Yeah, it's really, really difficult. In terms of people who I'd like them to go after, I don't think any of them are available right now. The one is, is the style of football important to you or just the quality of the manager? I think both, if I'm being honest. I think a balance is really important. The one guy, I was actually on the Arscast a couple of weeks ago. Me and Andrew were talking about this. And I is, said that, that, is that an Arsenal podcast? Apparently, yeah. Okay. Apparently, some... I, I'm not sure if you heard about it. But, um, I, you know, it doesn't ring a bell, but I'm, sh- I'm sure it's you, wonderful. No, it's it's to, you, it's it's fine. Yeah. Could you bleep that out, Elliot? Uh, that I, out, I, I probably yeah, I'll probably bleep it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I said to Andrew that if I had, if everyone was available and I could have a pick right now, I think I'd take someone like Thomas Tuchel because I think that he is. He just seems such a brilliant guy to get in at some in, in the kind of where we are now. I think he would really connect with a lot of the young players. I think his playing style is exciting. He was really, really intense and exciting at Dortmund. And obviously now Sven Mislintat isn't at Arsenal. So that removes one potentially problematic thing with him because they fell out at Dortmund. He has signed, I think, a contract extension at PSG till the end of 2021. um, The end of the 2021 season. But... I think that depending on what happens with PSG this season, if they don't go super deep in the Champions League, I think he could potentially be available in the summer. And So you're saying go, on, go for a sacked PSG manager? What could go wrong? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm all about... We need, to, we need to get more Germans back at Arsenal. You know, now that Pears left and Mustafi's probably going to be leaving, you know, we had that nice little run of a load of Germans. Well, if there's one and, thing that's caused no problems at Arsenal over the past few seasons, it's the Germans. <laughs> <laughs> Ozil, Mustafi, no, it's been all good all the time. <laughs> but there are there are a few curveballs in the in the Bundesliga maybe as well. I and mean, obviously, Musa and I live in Berlin and we watch a lot of Bundesliga. I think Nagelsmann's really, really highly rated, but he's only just gone to RB Leipzig this season. Um, Gladbach are currently top of the Bundesliga for the first time since Jupp Heynckes, I think, won him the league 30-odd years ago. 
Um, so Marco Rose is getting a lot of hype. I'm not sure if he would be the right guy yet, just because maybe the sample size is a bit small. But I would rather go for someone like that, you know, someone like Tuchel or potentially Nagelsmann, as opposed to an Ancelotti or an Allegri, in my opinion. Mm, I think interesting, that yeah. Because, A, I think that those kind of managers, I think, are looking for... A, a club that they can really do four or five years at. I think you look at Klopp. Klopp going to Liverpool was perfect. You know, in a in a in an era where the turnover of managers is super super high, you can imagine being like Klopp being at Liverpool for another five years. And I think managers like Tuchel or Nagelsmann probably want that kind of relationship with the club. And this is based on zero intel. You know, I'm like. Mm, the opposite to David Ornstein. But yeah. that's just kind of what but my that, But that me. doesn't mean people shouldn't sub The Athletic, which they absolutely should, using any of the various uh, Arsenal Vision promo codes available. Go ahead. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and great NBA coverage too, if you're an NBA fan. Um, but yeah, so I, I'd like to. I'd like someone like that, personally. I mean, what's your... Do you have any preference? On- oh, me? No, no, one, no one cares. <laughs> oh, I come think. on, Eddie. Yeah, no, I, I mean, look, I... I care. <clears throat> Thank you, Ryan. Uh, you can come back anytime. It's a, it's a n- nice change from Clive, Tim, and Paul. Uh, I I would say that for me, the style does matter because yeah. I think what I really came to appreciate under Emery is that watching Arsenal should be fun, and it wasn't. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not a spoiled, entitled brat in the sense that I think Arsenal should win all the time. I am a spoiled, yeah. entitled brat in that I think Arsenal's a big enough club with enough ta- talent, especially attacking talent, that it should be fun to watch. And I also just happen to think that attacking football is winning football in modern football. I don't think you see a lot of teams, maybe other than uh, Atletico Madrid, who succeed with dominantly defensive styles right now. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, I I think style matters. So I'd like to see a coach that has a clear philosophy that emphasizes the attacking. And that's why, while I recognize that Allegri is an exceptional coach, I might struggle to warm to him. I am of the opinion, Ryan, that what we need to do is go for someone that we think has the ability to maximize our ceiling, even at the risk of lowering our floor. What I mean by that is Arsenal does not have a good enough team and likely will not have a good enough team anytime soon to compete for a title with a coach who just gets us performing at the level of our talent. We need a coach who can elevate the talent and make us play better than the level of our talent. I would argue that Chelsea, for example, right now, pretty much kind of just playing at the level of their talent. Like, they're roughly fourth. They maybe have the fourth best squad. They have a lot of attacking talent. They're a little lightweight defensively, and that's kind of how they're playing. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has a mediocre United team, and he's making them play worse than the level of their talent. Klopp is taking a very good Liverpool and making them play above the level of their talent. Like, those are three different ways that a coach can influence a team. I would be willing to go for an Arteta, for example, on the thought that maybe he's got some of that pep stardust about him and gets us playing football that makes us better than our collective talents while acknowledging he might make us fucking terrible. He might just not know how to coach, period. But I'm okay with that. Because I also think what we want to do, Ryan, is either fail fast or succeed fast. The worst case scenario, and I've said this on a prior pod, is three years of muddling through because we think the guy's okay but we're not sure i mean there's some silver lining there's some you know the there's there's some shoots of recovery oh no it's mediocre again that's that's the the worst case scenario so yeah because i I think either want a manager for a season or a season and a half 
or you want him for, for five seasons. And you don't want the in-between of being mediocre for an extended period. So that's kind of how I would go about doing it. Um, you know what I think is a complication? You know, it used to be true that if you weren't in the Champions League, you just didn't even want to be in the Europa League. You want to finish 12th mm. and not have European football as a distraction the following season. But now that the Europa League offers a Champions League place, you cannot turn your nose up at it. Because a yeah. team of our caliber is basically going to walk into the semifinals, at least the quarterfinals. So you're talking about maybe being three games away from being back in the Champions League, even in a season where you could finish with 55 points. It is a tremendous backdoor, and everybody loves a tremendous backdoor. So um, how much of a factor do you think the the existence of a Champions League place for the Europa League winner will be in the club wanting to get the permanent manager in maybe sooner than they would have? How important is it to you that we really keep an eye on that competition because if we're being realistic i think the league is done for us as a, as a relevance this season but the europa league is has to be taken very seriously now yeah i mean it's it is the priority now because as we said before there's it's it's not going to be likely that they go on that run to finish in the top four have you seen the fixtures you, coming up over the next couple of months they are terrifying yeah, I, yeah. it's going to be a very a very cold winter, I think. But um, I think, I mean, like, yeah, let me I mean, just stop it, you for a second. Do the do the uh, on brand interruption thing because I think what I was driving at, and I didn't say it is. You could talk me into just sticking with Freddie till the end of the year and really conducting a thorough managerial search on the theory that as long as he doesn't get us relegated, relegated, who the fuck cares what happens the rest of the season because the season's basically done. But given that a Champions League place is on offer for the Europa League, there's a huge incentive if you think you can find a guy who can be the guy to get him in sooner and potentially take that chance. Yeah, but I think it makes it even harder to identify that that person because if you're going to hire someone purely on philosophy or playing style and that's what's hire, you know driving the, the selection, if you like, it's going to be super hard to implement that over the busiest period of fixtures of the season. So, however, if they can use that period to try and implement a style with the focus on the cha- when the Europa League comes back after the new year, then yeah, maybe that's that's the way to do it and almost use the the, the Premier League and the FA Cup as just a friendlies if you like not friendlies but you know like test running stuff to really make an assault on the on the Europa yeah, league a, a laboratory it's, it's, basically yeah, yeah it's, it's it's absolutely essential for arsenal to get back in the champions league it just is i think that four or five years ago even in the position that arsenal are in now i'd still feel fairly confident about arsenal finishing top four but I'm, but the difference between then and now is that the quality of coaching in the premier league goes so deep that you are seeing traditionally mid-table or lower half of the table clubs pushing for fifth, sixth and seventh because the coaching is so good and they are, going back to what you were saying before, getting results and making the team better than the sum of its parts. I think, you know, you look at um, Chris Wilder at Leicester, at, at Sheffield United, sorry, that is one of the best coach teams in the Premier League, I think, this season. Yeah, genuinely. he's been fantastic. Totally agree. Yep. And, and you have also Wolves are up there. You've seen what the the Brendan Rogers factor at, at at Leicester and 
that's makes that makes it super super hard. If he flirts with Arsenal any more than he has, he's going to wind up in bed with us. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. You know, maybe he'll get like a, like a portrait of himself in his new office or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. But that, that's it. The drop off isn't there anymore, so it does put the club in a really interesting position because, like I say, the, to get a, to get a Tuckle or a Nagelsmann is n- pretty much impossible at this current time. So, are they going to gamble on a? on another kind of botched appointment, if you like, just for the sake of trying to get someone in now to qualify for the Europa League or uh, for the Champions League via the Europa League, or do they take a longer-term view? In my opinion, I'm really surprised at how little noise there is about someone like Rafa Benitez until the end of the season, because I wouldn't actually hate that, I don't think. I no, I'd think- love it, but is that, is that an economic issue? I mean, given that he's in China, I'm, I'm guessing that it would be a king's ransom to pry him away and have him for the rest of the season? Yeah, I mean, that is potentially... A- I'm going to go out on a limb here, Ryan, and suggest that Stan may not be interested in paying a lot of money for a coach. Like, Just, yeah. just a wild-ass guess. Yeah, definitely. But who, I mean, who out there is available, really? Like, there's no one really there that kind of makes you go, that is the guy. Nuno Espiritu Santo. <laughs> I mean, yes, yeah. I just, I mean, I, I, I really like Nuno, but I don't not for Arsenal. like the idea of Nuno as an Arsenal manager. And that's, yeah. I think that's the thing that, you know, <laughs> nuance being not exactly alive and well in football debate. I think that's a really hard thing to, to convey via something like Twitter to people is that like, yeah, I really like Nuno, but I'm, I'm not wild about him being the Arsenal manager right yeah. now. Yeah, you know? I mean, I really like Alexander Lacazette. I don't think he should pl- be playing as our first choice striker. Exactly. I mean, you can, you there is a binary that develops online that things are bad or they are good, and mm. that's just not the reality. And I mean, em- Emery is bad. I think we can agree on that. But like, um, you know, things can be okay, and okay mm-hmm. can be not good enough. I just look. I mean, the worst Arsene Wenger team of all time was a Koscielny howler and some bad finishing away from eliminating Atletico Madrid to get into the Europa League final. And a worse Emery Arsenal waltzed to the Europa League final. So if you can project that you're going to be within a game or two games at the most of being back in the Champions League when you have no fucking right being there, it is such a dangling bit of low-hanging fruit. And who doesn't like some dangling fruits? Like, we have to reach out and grab those dangling fruits as yeah. you do. So, I mean, if I'm being brutally honest, I, I don't really have a clue how this is going to play out at all. I don't even, I, I mean, maybe that's why we do podcasts and we're not in charge of football clubs, but I get that I a lot on Twitter, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> I just really don't know. And I think that in a strange way, it's kind of exciting. You know, I was excited about an Arsenal game for the first time in ages on the weekend. And that at the moment, I'll take that because I haven't been excited about an Arsenal game for a long time. I wasn't even actually that excited about the Europa League final because I had a really bad feeling about it. And, you know, taking a positive look at it, I actually tweeted about it after Arsenal went behind on the weekend. You know, we had all of the ball and we were 1-0 down. It was like, shit, we're back. This is it. I I said the exact same thing. The first half was the most Arsene Wenger... Half yeah. dominant offensively, a lot of good chances. Didn't take him, get hit on the counter, concede twice. Yeah, but I honestly think the first what twenty minutes, half an hour was probably the best we played in the league all season. Yep, that's how bad it's been. And you know, Arsenal were creating chances. We had we actually outshot an opponent for the first time in however long. And yeah, unfortunately, 
when you have zero kind of spine from the from the center backs to the center midfield you're going to get hit on the counter but that can be tweaked you know freddie what had 48 hours if that i think that that will probably be tweaked a little bit um do you do you have an issue with i mean look the fact of the matter is I think what we were all expecting would Freddie would come in and immediately axe the sort of what seemed to be obvious Emery blind spots or mistakes. So like Torreira would play it holding, you know, as a holding midfielder and Pepe would come in on the wing and it, there would just sort of be this common sense approach to the selection. And it was certainly not that it was the restoration of Mustafi and it was the selection of Shaka and the non-selection of Torreira and the non-use of Pepe. I mean, on the main section of the pod, you know, we've addressed that in depth, but I'm just curious for you if that was head-scratching for you, and specifically with Pepe, who I think actually underlying metrics show has been better than people give him credit for, and who's having a not-bad season. He's just not been given a chance. Um, is, is that deeply concerning for you? It's not deeply concerning, but like I say, if if this is still going on after a few games, then, well, either there's there's going to be one of two things at play here. Either we know something or we don't know something that's going on there, which is probably the more likely thing. You know, I I think it's easy to forget that these guys are there all week with these players. They undoubtedly have um, more access to information than we do. So something must be going on because these are professional football coaches and managers who are picking players that we may be, can't understand why they're being picked over others so something must be going on on the other side i think that raises a style issue like when as excited as i was for nicholas pepe it kind of didn't him as a signing didn't really correlate with the kind of football that arsenal fans really want us to play um he is very much a kind of dribble counter-attack you know lil weren't hard weren't exactly a super super high tiki-taka possession-based side last season so i actually think he's had a little bit harsher criticism than he deserves especially when you look back at some of you know the how much time it took dennis burkham to settle in how much time it took thierry Henry to settle in and what they went on to do but if you're going to spend that much money on a player like that then surely you'd try and utilize him in a way that accentuates his strong points um so I guess we'll see. Sorry, it's super fence-sitting. It's a super fence-sitting answer, but I don't really know how it'll play out. I think that the Torreira one was maybe... I could kind of understand that a little bit more because I could understand the thinking of putting Xhaka back in the starting eleven as a... You know, hitting the reset button. Everyone's got a clean slate. You know, and I didn't think Jacker played that bad, to be honest. I don't think he was anywhere near our worst. He had that player. one bad giveaway in midfield that led yeah, to a counterattack. But, I, but and, and right. that's the funny thing with Shaka that I've always felt, right? Is it like that's just in his locker to do, you know, to yeah. do that? You know? Yeah. Um so yeah, sorry, I am I'm, I'm a bit out of wildly hot takes on that one. But no, it's fine. I, 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 I think that the issue for me, right, is we do not have the resources of Manchester City. And look, I, I am not going to get drawn into sunk cost fallacy here. All I'm going to say is, when you spend that much money on a player, you expect him to be a key player for you. You have to at least see what you've got. And I don't think we've given him... I mean, look, we fetishize training as non-professionals. There's tons of evidence and experience and comments that 
players can be bad in training and good in games. I'm not saying insubordinate yeah. in training. I'm just saying you know they're not the best on the training pitch and they're great in games. We got plenty of players that are bad in games who keep playing. What's the mm. good training doing for them? You know what I mean? Like we yeah, got players I, that are legendarily good trainers who don't play well. So the opposite could certainly be true. You know? Yeah, I think I, I think I'm really confused by this because I remember at the start of the season or before the start of the season, I actually said to Musa, I said the biggest worry for Arsenal this season is that there's almost nothing to worry about. I felt like we, you know, <laughs> oh, Arsenal had tempting had to, fate. It, but, but it was. It felt like there was kind of oh shit this is actually looking a little bit too good so what will what will be the reason that it all goes horribly wrong you know i thought that actually our squad in the summer looked better and deeper than it had done in years and something just didn't really nothing really seemed to click from the beginning though you know you had the meza Urzel thing i thought meza Urzel was brilliant in pre-season for example he was brilliant in pre-season and it looked like the team was going to be built around him and you could imagine Ozil behind Aubameyang, Lacazette, Pepe. That kind of is pretty frightening when they're at their peak, obviously. And then you have all these little kind of small setbacks of various players and then all of a sudden, it's like, you know, in like a kind of post-apocalyptic thing where it's like you've, someone's gone in a bunker for ages and they've come out and just everything's been blown to shit and you're like, how? Mm. How did this actually happen? And this is the thing that concerns me a little bit more because... It was, it was looking so good on paper. Now, we obviously know football's not playing on paper, but it turns out that it's probably the manager that has been the, the reason that, they, that that super deep squad hasn't really clicked or gelled or been fluid. You know, I remember the Burnley game, I think it was, and I remember saying on the podcast that Arsenal were moving the ball quick for the first time in a long time. And then that just stopped. So there's been no con consistency in terms of playing style, approach, and I think that's been down to Emery's thing. And so I think the problem that we have is we've got a really mixed bag of a squad in terms of strengths that have been playing a really mixed bag of tactics all season against re a really mixed level of opposition. And basically, there's just no, there's nothing there to, yeah, there's no thread there. So I think that that over uh, whoever the next coach will be I think that that has to be the priority for Arsenal at the moment is to reinstall some kind of direction from a playing point of view and whether it's successful or not it doesn't really matter it just everyone just feels like or seems to have felt a little lost since the summer yeah and that needs to be brought back and I think actually someone like you know a team of Pear and, and, and Freddie they might not be the worst options in the world for that. So, yeah. yeah. I, all I'm going to say is like right now, and I have to admit this, I'm suddenly looking at the squad and going, wow, I'm seeing a lot of problems with it that maybe I didn't consider in the summer. But the reality is like, we don't know, right? The, mm. Is it a case where we had a great squad and the coaching made it a lot worse than it should have been and that can be turned around? Is it a case where the squad was never as good as we thought and the combination of that and some poor coaching made it worse. Is the squad terrible? Like, th There's a lot of questions that we can't answer because I think the coaching held us back so much and also the extent to which maybe the players had given up under, the, uh, under Emery. But like, the one thing I do think is sometimes as a coach, absent being brilliant like Pep or Klopp, just do the obvious shit. Like, I, yeah. I, I just think, like, just play 
Pepe. Get Aubameyang in the box. Use Torreira as a DM. I realize I'm not a coach. I could be dead wrong about all of this. But, like, I do think coaches can get... You, you know, you, you said they see it every day and we don't. You know what, Ryan? Sometimes I think seeing it every day can be your worst enemy. Sometimes yeah. being too close to it, you can start to buy into narratives and ideas that are poisoning your brain because, you know... You could see Messi at training and be like, the guy's drinking a can of Coke and walking around. Maybe I need to take this guy out of the squad. Like, you can be too close to it. And maybe it's just about common sense. Pepe on the wing, Oba in the box, Torreira at DM, some common sense moves that can just be quick fixes. And and my hope was mm-hmm. that Freddie would do some of that. He hasn't yet. Maybe he will. We'll see. I'm up against a hard stop here, so I'll just ask you a quick final question. One word. Okay. Wild-ass guess. Who's the next manager going to be? <sighs> Uh, I honestly have no idea, Elliot. I'm not wild ass guess. Just pick someone, anyone, any name doesn't matter. Uh, knowing our luck, it'll probably be someone like we'll never have thought of coming, like Marcelino or someone like that. All right, so when it's not Marcelino, he's at Ryan Hunt on Twitter. Give him abuse because that, I mean, and tell him how dumb that was because, you know, I didn't even really care what he picked, but he felt he had to say something. I can't believe it. I'm kidding. You definitely need to listen to the Stadio podcast with him and Musa. You can find him on Twitter at Ryan Hunt. You can find the Stadio podcast at stadio.football. Ryan, um, just a delight talking to you, and I hope that we'll get a chance to do it again. Cheers, Elliot. Take care. Uh, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner gives five-star review. We will have um, some cool Patreon content coming out. Remember, we are about to launch our uh, contest to win a shirt, a year of Patreon, and a year of The Athletics. So that's all coming out any day now as soon as I get out from the avalanche of work. But it, it literally could be any moment. So keep checking back at arsenalvisionpodcast.com. So all good things. You know what? Onward and upward. Uh, we had a half of good football, I think, at the weekend. Maybe we'll have two halves on Thursday. So we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, bright and new. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.